of being persecuted for following Jesus, Jesus tells his followers that they are salt and light. From the effect that the world can have on the believer through persecution, Jesus now highlights the effect the believer can have on the world through who he was calling them to be. Salt and light. Light was something that God's chosen people, Israel, had been called to be. But they were no longer allowing God's light to shine through them clearly. And they distinctly lost their sense of saltiness. And so today's passage acts as a gateway in teaching who Jesus was calling his followers to be before outlining how they were to do this on the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. They weren't to throw out the big story of God and his people or his law. They were to live it out as the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Now, salt and light are names that Christians sometimes call, used to describe themselves. In fact, there's a whole network of churches called the Salt and Light Network. I wonder if you have a favorite name or maybe a name you're not so keen on when it comes to different labels or names that you might give to Christians, born-again believers, followers of the way, disciples, believers, the body of Christ, the household of God, or a personal favorite of mine as a Southampton supporter, the saints. (laughs) Well, uh, whatever images uh, we might use, it's interesting to note here that Jesus doesn't choose to call his disciples a sword or soldiers to express something of his power and judgment and might. No, he goes for salt and light. These images help us, like the disciples, to understand who Jesus is calling us to be. And these verses were not just addressed vaguely to everyone, but to you, talking to the disciples. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Now, salt doesn't actually do much good to soil, I understand. This is a metaphor. Salt being you, Jesus' followers, and the earth being the people of this world. Let's think for a moment what the metaphor means. What is and was the function of of salt. I wonder if you could help me out, just one thing at a time. What, what is and was the function of salt? What can it be used for? Someone help me out. One thing, please. Flavor. Okay, let's start with flavor. I heard some other answers, and I'll come back to them in a minute. Yeah, salt gives flavor. Thinking of fish and chips, I wonder if you have salt, salt and vinegar, or neither. Okay, hands up for just salt. Hands up for salt and vinegar. Hands up for neither. Oh, one or two. Okay, one or two. Okay. Uh, Salt is meant to bring taste to food, and God's people are called to be a life-giving, taste-bringing people. Some foods, you might say, are unbearable uh, without a bit of salt. Some definitely don't need salt. Uh, Take my auntie. A few years ago, she was staying at our house on the 1st of April, and uh, we decided to switch the sugar uh, for the salt, and she enjoys porridge for breakfast. Uh, And so uh, she wanted a bit of sugar on her porridge, and so she put a bit on, and it still wasn't tasting quite sweet enough, and she kept on adding and adding and adding. And we were there having a very good idea. Well, maybe not 
porridge, but salt is added to many foods to improve and give a sense of taste and flavour. And Christians are called to bring a sense of life and joy and taste and flavour to others. As we think about our front lines, wouldn't it be great if God uses us to bring a sense of life and joy and flavour and taste to the places we find ourselves? Not to be like Jonah the Groaner, but Grant the Grateful. Not to be like Mavis the Moaner, but Evie the Encourager. You are the salt of the earth, the ones who bring flavour. Another answer. What else does salt do? I heard some other good ones. I was a bit worried earlier when I asked some of our teenagers and they gave me loads of chemical understandings of salt. I wasn't looking for that, but there were some other helpful ones. What else does salt do? It preserves. Thank you. I like that answer. I was hoping for that one. Yes, salt preserves. Now, before fridges and freezers, and particularly in warm countries like Israel and Jesus' day, meat and fish would often be coated in salt to stop it from going off. Salt was a key thing to have around the home. It's still used in this way in some cultures as a way of halting the process of food perishing. God calls his people to play the same role as those who himself have discovered the one who saves them from perishing now and for eternity, the source of life, God himself. Paul acknowledges that those living without Christ are, pre- are perishing as a present reality. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, he says. And Jesus acknowledged that in the future, unless you repent, you will perish. Due to our sin and turning away from God, humanity is perishing. And we need something or someone to save us and preserve us. Like salt preserves meat and stops it from perishing. And Jesus came to halt the perishing process for us by bringing the offer of eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. His disciples, as those who were discovering eternal life, were called to be the salt of the earth, just like Israel was called to be a blessing to the nations around them, particularly to individuals like widows and orphans and strangers who would have been dying, or you could say perishing, without the help and need of God's people. The disciples have been saved from perishing by accepting new life in Jesus. And it's in accepting this eternal life that the perishing process is halted, that by God's spirit, we're made alive, just as we prayed and read earlier, made alive because of God's love, by grace, we are made alive. The disciples then were called to be the salt of the earth to point other people towards Jesus, the source of eternal life, the one who preserves our life. When we think about salt as a preservative, the application is broader and wider than just our own spiritual lives. As God calls his people to preserve the life and health of others, of relationships, of people groups that are under threat, and of our very environment that we enjoy living in. Salt preserves things, and God's people are called to preserve and halt the decay that we see, both spiritually for ourselves and those around us, and more broadly, as we look to see the life-giving kingdom of God break into every area 
of society. Salt then gives flavor. It stops things perishing. I'm looking for two more. Any others? It melts ice. Thank you. I didn't make my cut, but thank you. Very helpful. <laughs> Any others we can think of? Increases the boiling point of water. Thank you. Another one? Can I have a bit louder? Heals. Great. I'm going to pick up on that one. Heals. I'm going to link that in with purity as well. Bring purifies and healing. In fact, you know, my favorite use of salt personally is uh, putting on an ulcer. You can buy Bongella, but salt, it might be painful, but it does the job really nicely. Uh, salt was associated with purity for the Jews. Salt was used to purify sacrifices, as an example of that, in Leviticus chapter 2. And in 2 Kings chapter 2, Elisha threw salt into an unclean well for it to be purified. And salt was even seen as a sign of judgment due to a lack of moral purity. Examples of this can be seen in the judgment story of Sodom and Gomorrah that you can read about in Genesis 29 and that of Sheshem that you can read about in Judges chapter 9 where salt was used as a sign of this judgment. Now Jesus was calling his people to live pure lives on the inside as well as the outside and this will become increasingly clear as we look at some of the ways he called his disciples to live this out on the Sermon on the Mount. Amazingly, Jesus was able to remain perfectly pure while still approachable and desirable to those who were far from pure. See, purity doesn't mean being judgy or lacking grace and compassion, but purity does reflect the nature of our holy God and is a healing characteristic to those who see this. In our various youth group discussions, we often end up talking about what it looks like to live the Jesus way and how we can live this out full of grace and truth, compassion and conviction. So that might affect our view of relationships or what we watch or what we read or what we scroll through, how we speak or how we spend our money. We can all seek to be salty and be pure like Jesus, but without being judgy and self-righteous like the Pharisees. Like I said, my favorite use of salt is on ulcers. It can be painful, but it works. And a pure life can be costly and sacrificial, but it's for our own health and brings honor to God, who calls us to be holy, to be set apart, because God himself is holy. So salt purifies and shows where healing and cleansing can be found. This is who the disciples were called to be, a people who were pure in heart and lifestyle, something we're called to be as well. And the final one that I'm looking for is salt creates thirst. Salt creates thirst. I don't know if you've uh, been to a bar and uh, been tempted in to pick up uh, salted peanut or some salted crisps. Uh, why do they put them there? Why do bar runners put them there? Because it's likely to make you want a drink. And salt creates thirst. It's unlikely that this one was the initial meaning when Jesus delivered this teaching, but there is some truth here. The kind of thirst that Jesus' followers to create was a thirst for God. 
don't know if you ever spent time with someone and when they talk about God or you've prayed with them and they pray in a way as if God's actually in the room, it leaves you thinking, wow, I want to know God like that. Well, what if we were a people who, when people saw us, when they spent time with us, it left them thirsty to know God for themselves as well? Jesus alone is the one who can clench the spiritual thirst of every human heart. But what if we, the salt of the earth, left people thirsty for this drink by the way we live? Thirsty to know our amazing saviour and Lord, Jesus. Jesus said, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. You are the salt of the earth, the ones who create a thirst for God. Salt preserves things, it purifies things, it adds flavour, and it leaves people thirsty. But before we move on to the light of the world, it's important to highlight Jesus' warning about losing saltiness. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made thirsty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Salt can't actually lose its saltiness, but it can be mixed up with other elements and not become useful. When this were to happen, it would be no good. It would be impure and it would be thrown out and dismissed and not used. Now, the challenge that Jesus brings for the disciples was to stay salty, preserving life, bringing flavour, living purely and creating a thirst for God. I wonder if some of us hearing these words today need to hear the challenge of losing our saltiness, losing our zeal for living a set-apart, holy way, living distinctly for Jesus. A similar warning is given about not hiding a light. So let's think about light. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The light of the world the disciples were called to be implies that there is darkness in our world. And there was in the first century and there is now. Darkness then because there was no electricity And it would be dark at night without light. In fact, salt and light were two of the key household essentials. And without light, nothing could be done, really, outside of daylight hours. But also, it leads us to think about the darkness of evil. Sadness, pain, suffering, war and conflict that was and is present. The whole world needs light. Not a hidden light but a light that shines clearly on a stand or a hillside. As we hear these words, for some of us, we might be thinking, I thought that Jesus said he was the light of the world. But for the disciples, they would probably have been thinking, well, Israel was called to be the light to the nations. This is one of the many times when an image is picked up from the Old Testament and given a new focus and fulfillment in Jesus, and then for Jesus to pass it back and ask his disciples to go on fulfilling this and playing their role. God's people were called to be a light to the nations. And then Jesus came and shone 
in a way that his people couldn't fulfill. He is and was the true light of the world. And now he passes this task back to his disciples, but not a task to do on their own, but to allow Christ's light to shine through them. What does light do? It illuminates things. It reveals what's true and real, and it gets rid of darkness. Light so often is a sign of hope. You might talk about light at the end of the tunnel or a new day dawning. Jesus is the light of the world. We see that in the gospels in word and deed. Jesus' words revealed the heart attitude of his disciples, the religious leaders, and many people he encountered. And his, and his words revealed what God is really like. His words shone a light on how forgiveness and eternal life is possible through him alone. His deeds shone a light on God's love and compassion and power and banished the dark forces of evil, sin and death. Following his death, the light of Resurrection Sunday is still banishing darkness today. Being the light of the world doesn't mean the disciples would simply imitate or copy Jesus as the light of the world. They would struggle to do that, as would we. It means allowing Jesus' light to shine through them and shine through us. I have a light bulb here. And this light bulb would struggle to emit any light on its own in the same way that I would. What it needs is to be plugged in to the source of power, to the source of the light, which of course we know is the one who is the true light when we think about ourselves and our relationship to Jesus. It needs to be plugged in. And when it is, it can shine. Disciples weren't called to hide their light and their identity as followers of Jesus, but to let it shine in word and deeds so that it might bring light and hope to others in a desperate world. This is made clear in verse 16 by Jesus' instruction to let your light shine before others. Why? That they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Good seeds. The disciples were called to act this out, to live this out, to demonstrate the way of the kingdom that would be a light to others. And so are we. Let's note again that they weren't called to put their light hidden under a basket or a bucket or a bushel, depending on what version you might read. That's no good. It doesn't bring light to anything. Their light was not to be hidden. It was to be put on a stand that it might give light to the whole house. Let's not let our light be hidden by being quiet when we could speak out, by going along with a crowd rather than choosing the Jesus way, by denying Jesus is the light we all need, by letting sin dim our light, by ignoring the needs of others that we see. Let's not put our light in our school or work bag but let's get it out in the workplace or the classroom as we seek to share about Jesus. Let's not keep our light locked behind our front door, but let's show Christ-like care and concern for our neighbours. Let's not leave our light in the gym locker, 
but let's get it out as we look to model Christ-like character on the sports pitch or the place of leisure that you might find yourself in. Let's not hide our light, but let Christ shine through us. Jesus said to his disciples, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And today, as followers of the way, as the household of God, as the body of Christ, as the saints, we remind each other, we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you that you call us to be salt and light. You graciously save and help us, and then you call us to be salt and light. Help us, Lord, to be salt, to point people to you, the one who preserves life, and help us to live in a way that preserves what is good, seeking justice, mercy, and peace. Help us to live pure lives, lives set apart for you that point to you, Help us to bring your joy and flavour to our front lines, to our places of work, our homes, our places of leisure, our schools and neighbourhoods. Lord Jesus, would you quench our thirst again? Help us point others to you, the one who can quench our thirst as the water of life yourself. Lord, help us remain salty and to make a difference. And Lord Jesus, the light of the world, we pray that you would shine through us. Help us to stay connected to you. We pray that your hope and truth will be seen to those around us, that people might see how we live and your light shining through us, and as a result, want to praise and trust you themselves. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.